reading is taken from Exodus 34, verse 1 to 8. The Lord said to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready in the morning, and then come up to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. No one is to come with you or be seen anywhere on the mountain. Not even the flocks and herds may graze in front of the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to Mount Sinai early in the morning, as the Lord had commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshipped. This is the word of the Lord. Hello everybody. Uh, as Sam said, my name's Tom. I'm the worship pastor here. If we haven't met, it's great to be with you. Do come and find us. Just to add my welcome, please do. Especially if you're new, come and find one of us at the welcome wagon afterwards. We would love to meet you. Um, love to say hey. Um, I wonder what you're thinking about as we head into this new year together. What is filling your mind? How can I be a better person this year? Where will I be this time next year? Uh, Will Saints ever catch Ipswich in the championship? I've got faith. Um, Our minds are probably full of all kinds of different things as we start this new year. Um, But the theologian and pastor, A.W. Tozer, said this, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When we think about God... What do we think about him? That's the most important thing about us. And we probably all have some kind of idea of him in our minds, whether it's true or not, you know, conceptual or otherwise. If we've known him for years and you think you basically have a grasp on what he's like, or if you're searching for more. We know over the next six or seven weeks, um, we are going to be launching a new teaching series, starts today, um, called God of the Ages, looking at Exodus 34, and just two verses from the ones that we heard read. Um, And just before we go on, I think um, for those of you on seats, if you look underneath your chairs, and then if the guys who had them earlier, if you could distribute out, we've made bookmarks, guys. Very exciting. (laughs) Um, Partly just because we really like the branding of this teaching series. Um, We wanted to make something for you to have, to take away with you. We don't have loads of them left, actually. So they they were kind of surprisingly popular this morning. So we'll make some more and get them out for you. But really, the heart behind this was we want you to take these two verses with you wherever you go. Take them into your weeks. Um, use them in your Bible. We'd really encourage you, maybe read through Exodus as we journey through this teaching series together um, or shove it in the novel that you're reading or whatever it is. Have this with you so that you can have these two verses between the Sundays to be reminded this is who God is. This is what he's like. Because you know, these two verses that we're going to look at, they are the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. So when the Bible quotes itself, It most often quotes this verse. It's the most quoted verse in the Bible, by the Bible. Um, And it gives us really the clearest and most concise description of the character 
of God. And so we're going to spend six or seven weeks to really linger over who God is and what he's like. And really, we're doing that because we agree with A.W. Tozer that there's nothing more important that we can do at the start of a new year or ever than ask the question, who is God and what is he like? I want to say it is the most fundamental question you will ever ask. And the answer can change your life. The way that you see yourself, those around you, the way that you live. And the answer has been doing exactly that for millions of people for thousands of years. I want to say right at the start of this teaching series that I do believe these could be the most significant six or seven weeks of your life. And not because I think that we've got the greatest teaching lined up, although it will be good. Um, Because I believe that the God who is revealed in these two verses is the greatest treasure in all the universe. And he wants you to know him. Whether for the first time or to push the boundaries of what you thought you knew about him. No big deal then. That's where we're going. I really hope you're excited for it. And really today, um, we're going to take a kind of introductory look at these two verses to kind of scope out the context um, and see what we can learn as we kick off the series. Sound good? Sound good? Yeah, there we go. Good. It's going to happen anyway. So there we go. Um, So context for the verse, we're Exodus 34, if you want to get it up on a phone, if you want to see where we are, Exodus 34, um, and we read 1 to 8, but the verses we're going to be looking at are 6 and 7, those are the two, they're on the bookmark, Um, do get familiar with them. So where are we? Exodus 34, what's been happening so far? Um, Well, we're in Exodus, second book of the Bible, um, and what has just happened is God has saved his people out of slavery in Egypt. Um, and he's leading them on this journey towards the promised land that he said he's going to give them. He's forming and teaching and leading this people for himself and making them into this holy nation of Israel. And as he's doing that, Moses is like the guy. He's the leader. Um, He's the one communicating with God, receiving instruction, uh, and they're being led through the desert. And this is a bit odd, but... Um, the way that God has been with his people um, through the desert is in the form of a massive pillar of smoke by day and a massive pillar of fire by night. And just to pause on that before we go any further, just imagine how that would shape your view of who God is. If the God that you're following, the God that is leading you, is a massive pillar of smoke and a massive pillar of fire. How would that affect the way that you see God? What's God like? He's essentially a tornado. And at night, that tornado lights on fire. I kind of say that flippantly, but genuinely imagine how that would inform your view of who God is and what he's like. Presumably, you'd be fairly terrified of this God I'm sure Moses was terrified. He's the one that has to approach this God, this tornado, for instruction. And yet, what we read in the chapter just before the one that we're focusing on is that there is a hunger in Moses. There's a hunger in him. See, he's had 
glimpses of this God so far, of Yahweh, um, in the famous story of the burning bush, um, where God speaks to Moses in this quite vague revelation of him, um, and then in the cloud and the fire. But Moses isn't settling for that. He wants more. He wants to actually know Yahweh. What is Yahweh like? And so he prays a really dangerous prayer. A wonderful but really dangerous prayer. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. It's, it's fearful but full of reverence and hunger for God. Show me your glory. And it's into that context that Moses is invited up the mountain to enter the cloud. Verse two, we read, be ready in the morning and then come up on Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me there on top of the mountain. Just put yourself in his shoes as he's thinking about stepping into this cloud on the top of the mountain. John Mark Comer, writer and pastor, says this, it's one thing to sit through a series of talks about God. It's another thing to scale a mountain in the middle of the desert and plunge headfirst into the darkness. And so what happens? What happens when he gets up there? Verse five. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there. We could stop there. We could, we could do the whole teaching series on that verse. The Lord came and stood there in front of Moses with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, and here's our verses, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. And Moses and we exhale. It's a huge moment, this, in uh, it's a watershed moment in, in the story of the Bible. It's like God's press release, not just to Moses, but to the world and to all of history. This is who I am. This is what I'm like. Know me. It's an invitation into wonder, into intimacy and relationship with the God of all things. And as I said, over the next six or seven weeks, we're going to unpack exactly what it all means for us and our view of God. But for today... As we start the journey, I think there's two things that we can learn from the story. Two things for today. Firstly, God is more loving than we know. God is more loving than we know. And going back to my GCSEs uh, in school, I did okay in my GCSEs. I didn't really excel at anything in particular apart from two subjects. I got A stars in RE. Uh, and a, an A-star in music. So I had RE and music, and now I'm a worship pastor. So it all works out in the end, guys. God is faithful. Um, but going back to those RE lessons, as I think back, and I think back to the, their kind of secular attempt at teaching us Christianity, um, they would kind of try and tell us what the God of the Bible is like, um, and they would use these words that I like to call the omnis. Uh, they are, God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. Uh, he's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful, and so on and so on. These are the omnis. You're welcome. Um, 
But I wonder if you can see how they don't actually do a very good job at getting us to know what God is like. It's not a good way of describing someone. It would be like if I was to describe my wife Meg to you and I said uh, she has brown hair. You wouldn't know anything about what Meg is actually like. It's way too factual. It's, it's almost conceptual. Um, it's true, but way too factual. And so um, basically what I want to say is that God is not a concept. That's why these, these omnis, they don't, they don't do a good enough job because God is not a concept. He is a person, a knowable person. And what we read from these verses is that the defining character trait of that person is compassion. Compassion. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. Compassion is primary in that list. It comes first. And um, when you read lists in the Bible, generally, pay attention to lists. And what comes first is generally most important in the lists. So compassion here is most important in God's nature. He does, he gets angry, and we'll come to that in the weeks ahead. But his default is mercy and compassion. It's good news. So what is compassion? Well, we'll unpack it in more detail in the weeks to come. But for now, um, just think of it the, of, like the way a parent loves their child. Um, I'm not a parent, but I have them. Um, and growing up, um, I'm really grateful to have had um, loving and compassionate parents. Um, going back to my GCSEs, um, I was particularly useless at maths growing up. It just wasn't my thing. Probably could have been all right at it if I'd applied myself slightly more. That's generally the story of my GCSEs. Um, but it was not my thing, didn't enjoy it. And yet the homework would keep coming. Um, and usually on a Sunday night, because I'd put it off until the very last minute, um, I would have to sit down and get on with this homework. And um, my loving and compassionate parents would sit there with me and go through my maths homework with me. I promise you, they did not want to be doing that with me. But Sunday after Sunday, hour after hour, week after week, there they would sit with me and help me. Why did they do that? Because they love me. Because they have compassion for me. Because they want to help me. It's a small, almost silly example, but they, they wanted to help me. They wanted to see me grow and thrive and flourish in life. And guys, that is a glimpse, a faint echo of how God feels about you. And I'm painfully aware that for some of us, that analogy just does not land because you didn't have that experience growing up. Your parents weren't like that. Maybe for you, you were never good enough. You couldn't ever do enough to earn that compassion and love. Or maybe the parents were just completely distant. And so you really want that love and compassion. Well, I want to say to you loud and clear today that that love and compassion and so much more is exactly how God feels about you. Every one of you in this room, he loves you completely. He wants to help you. He's nearer and more loving than you imagine. 
compassionate and gracious. This is who he is. Is that how you think of him? When you picture God, when you think of how he relates to you and thinks of you, it's very easy for me at least to think of God as harsh or um, accusatory, pointing the finger. You should have done better there. Why aren't you better? Why aren't you more holy? Come on. Or distant or absent. But as you think back over the past year with all its mistakes and brokenness and sin and the mess of life, and as you look ahead to the year ahead of you with a desire to be more holy, I want to say again loud and clear, God is not disappointed with you. God is not disappointed with you. He does not accuse you or point the finger. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. I could just say that for two hours until it sinks in. God loves you. I don't know, maybe you heard growing up, like me, I think I first heard it at a conference or something. It's definitely a part of my early faith journey somewhere. This analogy, which some of you will think is absolutely crazy, um, but in a desire to kind of spur us on to holiness, maybe you've heard this idea of like, well, what if you get to heaven and God has a tape of everything wrong that you've ever done in your life and he plays it to all other people there? Again, some of us think, well, that's not what God is like, that's nuts. Some of us have been really hurt by that kind of teaching. But God's mode of operation is never shame. He does not want to shame you. He has compassion for you. There is an accuser in the Bible and he is not God. God silences the accuser and chooses to forget the wrongdoing. You could say there is a tape and he's ripped it up. This is how God feels about you. And so let this moment today be a reset for you if it needs to be. Where those thoughts about God, of him being harsh or accusing, let it be reset. He loves you, he loves you, he has compassion for you. And you know, he's not unobtainable either. Maybe he's felt distant or frustratingly elusive, but you see, here's the second thing. God is more knowable than we think. God is more knowable than we think. See, like I said, Moses wanted to know God. He'd had glimpses, as I said, but he wanted more. So what did he do? He asked and God replied. So you want to know God? Ascend the mountain and ask. A.W. Tozer again says this, a loving personality dominates the Bible, walking among the trees of the garden and breathing fragrance over every scene. Always a living and loving person is present, manifesting himself whenever and wherever his people are receptive enough to receive him. He has always been a God who reveals himself to his people. And if you trace through the story so far, you get this kind of ever-clarifying picture of who God is. Um, 
And this actually has a, a theological name. It's called progressive revelation. Whoa, pretty fun. Uh, progressive revelation. It's basically this idea that throughout Scripture, God is gradually revealing more and more of who he is, his nature and glory to his people. And we even get a sense of that even in just Moses' life. So like I said before, you get the burning bush at the start, which is this kind of amazing but quite vague encounter with God who seems very mysterious through to the pillar of fire, still quite vague. Then he goes up the mountain and God says first, my name is Yahweh, I am, this is who I am. Here's my name, more revelation. And then we get our two verses. Here's what I'm like, compassionate and gracious. Here's my character. Can you see this progression of revelation in Moses' life? And so here's the thing. I think maybe some of us were stuck at the burning bush when what we need to know is Yahweh, Yahweh, the kind and compassionate God. Maybe we have some idea of God, but we need to hear that invitation into more. Maybe you've settled for what God has shown you so far or your idea of God. Well, Moses did not stay at the burning bush. And I believe God is saying to us, to you today and for 2024, come and know me. Come and know me more. And this is the same God as on page one of the Bible, by the way, who set the cosmos into motion just by speaking, who formed everything that is in the universe. He says, come and know me. That should blow our minds. He says, come and know me. John Mark Comer again, God can be mysterious and vague and elusive and hard to catch at times. At the top of Mount Sinai was a cloud, not an engineering schematic. But why not start like Moses did? Prayerfully, show me your glory. If all we get is a glimpse or an echo, it will have been worth it. God wants to be known. There is always more. See, he is so vast and glorious that if all we get is the tiniest little slice of who he really is, that will have been worth the pursuit. And so if God feels distant to you or hard to pin down, if you get frustrated when you open your Bible, if prayer doesn't seem to be working, or if you've been following Jesus for 40 years and you feel like you've got most things covered, keep going. God wants to be known more and more. Ascend the mountain. Ask, show me your glory. Because God is more loving than we know and more knowable than we think. And so as we come into land, this progressive revelation of God, it did not end in Exodus 34. It didn't end in the promised land didn't end with King David or any of the other kings or prophets or anything that they said or even at the end of the Old Testament. Because you see, 1,500 years after Moses prayed that prayer, show me your glory, show your people who you are, God answered fully. And the glory of God came down to earth, not as a cloud, but as a human being 
walking, talking, loving, serving, healing. Jesus of Nazareth steps into the story to lead his people, to lead us out of slavery, to show us how to live. And you know, over a millennia after Moses, he ascended a different hill. Not to ask what God is like, but to show us once and for all the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. See, on the cross, the glory of God shines. The compassion of God, the grace of God, the love of God. And so you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. Consider him. Fill your mind and your heart with him. Ascend that hill and behold the glory of God. And if the accuser tries to tell you that God is full of anything other than loving kindness for you, well, then you have the evidence. And his name is Jesus. So today, over the next six or seven weeks and in 2024, I want to ask, will you pursue God? Will you go after more of him? Will you ascend the mountain and dive headfirst into the cloud? Abandon yourself to a life of dangerous, risky, I won't stop for anything, pursuit of Jesus. He is waiting to be found. If all we get is a glimpse or an echo, it will have been worth it. Because God is more loving than we know and more knowable than we think.